workers who had protections in the workplace, so union members advocating for higher wages, is a deeply important part of the solidarity we need to do to get those wages up because we do have those protections. Our union has our back, and that's not something that many low-wage workers have. This is Pandemic at Work, an SGU podcast. My name is Amy Husiak, and this week we're asking, is thank you enough for frontline workers? From signs in the windows of houses to formal words from world leaders, frontline workers have been thanked a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. And while thanks are definitely appropriate for workers who've done essential jobs throughout this pandemic, at a certain point, workers have started to point out that there are some real gaps when it comes to their jobs. Gaps that certainly aren't fixed through lip service. At the beginning of the pandemic, we used the term frontline worker mostly to refer to workers in healthcare. But over the last 18 months, we've gained a more nuanced view of which workers are essential in our society. And it's not just nurses and doctors, but also the people who work at the local grocery store, or the guy who works at the neighborhood gas station, or the woman who runs a daycare out of her house. Most of these workers haven't been able to work from home for even a single day continuing to deal directly with the public day in and day out throughout the pandemic. And all the thanks in the world doesn't make up for the fact that Saskatchewan still has Canada's lowest minimum wage, going up to a whopping 11.81 per hour in a couple of weeks, by the way, still the second lowest minimum wage in Canada. Nor does it make up for the lack of other supports for workers, like no paid sick days. And if you work at a job with good wages and paid sick days, know that you're lucky. Almost half of Canadian workers have no access to paid sick days, and almost 100,000 Saskatchewan workers make under $15 per hour. We're talking about that today and more with our guest Deanna Ogle, a community organizer for workers' rights and Saskatchewan's representative with the Canadian Labour Congress. Welcome to the podcast, Deanna. Hey, thanks for having me. So for our listeners who may not know, what is the Canadian Labour Congress and what is your role in advocating for frontline workers? The Canadian Labour Congress is the national body for Canada's unions, as well as the provincial and territorial federations of labour and local labour councils. So together, we're over three million strong across Canada. So the work we do in supporting frontline workers is in recognition that uh, many of our affiliated unions have uh, frontline workers as members. So we see uh, postal workers, grocery store workers, warehouse workers who are uh, union members across Canada. But we also know that the work we do and the solidarity we provide to frontline workers is part of the work that we should be doing as part of the labor movement uh, in representing the voice of working people. So... Can you tell us a little bit about some of the experiences you've heard from frontline workers and a little bit about the issues they've faced throughout the pandemic? Yeah, you know, and I think this pandemic really highlighted the importance and skill that a lot of frontline workers bring to their work every day, as well as the care that they bring to their communities. And I think a lot of that was made invisible until all of a sudden we saw that grocery store workers were risking their safety every day in order to ensure that those doors were open and we were able to get what we needed in order to to make ends meet. And so I think that's really important when we think about, you know, the role people play in their communities. But, you know, what we saw was was exactly that, was that people were stepping up and risking their safety in order to go to work. That in the beginning, when we didn't know 
you know, exactly how COVID was transmitted or how we could be safe from COVID. It was those very workers who were often uh, low wage or in precarious positions who were going to work each day while many of us were being told to stay home. So there was a lot of risks that they were taking. And so you know, they had many of the challenges that some of our healthcare workers faced around insufficient PPE. So they weren't being prioritized in terms of getting the safety equipment that they needed in order to be safe. And then it was also around de-escalation and how do they protect themselves uh, from folks coming in. So if you're in a service sector or if you're a postal worker, your job is literally dealing with the public. So how do you uh, set up boundaries and protect yourself from the public who may not necessarily be doing or taking the steps they need to take in order to protect those workers? And then we saw these uh, horrific outbreaks in uh, food service plants. I'll never forget the face of one of the women who died in Alberta, who was uh, a mother, a family member, an important member of the community. And she was in a food processing plant and caught COVID because of insufficient PPE on the part of the employer. And that family still misses her today. And that is a worker who has had to, every step of the way, fight for her rights. And her employer and her government failed her in that. We've heard a lot of thanks directed towards frontline workers throughout this pandemic, from the community, but also from political leaders like the Premier. And our provincial government has been very resistant to changes proposed by workers and by unions, by workers' advocates. And they've only, throughout this pandemic, picked up something like 10% of the cost of COVID-19 support measures, while the federal government has picked up the other 90%. Do you think that our provincial government has done enough for frontline workers throughout this pandemic, or what should they be doing instead? Well, I think the short and long answer is absolutely not. The provincial government has not done what they should, and and I think that, you know, some of the examples we have from long-term care more than demonstrate that. But I think that, you know, one of the things that we also need to do when talking about what should provincial governments be doing is share examples of provincial governments who did things differently. Because it's very hard to picture or to build expectations of government when we don't have them here. One of the things that the BC government did as soon as the pandemic uh, hit was invite workers to the table and have unions at the table as representatives of workers asking, what do you need? And being part of that decision-making table so that we heard not just from employers, about what workers' experiences are, but from the workers themselves. And that really shifted, I think, how decisions were made. This didn't take place in Saskatchewan. At no point have voices for workers been at the table where decisions are made around public health measures. And that means that um, we haven't had public health measures that have a clear understanding of what it is day to day to go to work during a pandemic and where those safety measures are. We've also heard from workers that it was really hard to get an outbreak declared in your workplace so that there could be uh, individuals getting COVID in their workplace, but we didn't have outbreaks declared because the employer was saying, well, those people got it on break. Or those, we don't know, we, they, those people may have caught COVID outside of the workplace. And so it left the onus on workers themselves and, and unions, if that worker was, was in a union, to demonstrate how those folks caught COVID. And that's difficult to do. 
whereas other provinces had an assumption that if a worker caught COVID, it happened at the workplace. And that really changed how those workplaces dealt with COVID. So rather than being a collective responsibility for safety, it was an individual responsibility to keep yourself safe. So it meant that many frontline workers throughout COVID were isolated, alone, um, weren't able to tap into community supports because they were protecting themselves so that they could go to work because they still had to make ends meet. So is there anything that you think coming out of this pandemic, or I guess maybe coming out is the wrong word, learning to live with COVID-19 now, that you think the government should be doing changes they should be making? Yeah, I think there's a couple of really easy answers here. Saskatchewan still doesn't have uh, paid sick days or paid sick leave for workers. And so that's something that workers need in order to be able to take time off work to recover from whatever illness, whether that's COVID or the other things that come up in our lives. The other thing is an increase in the wage floor. So we have the lowest minimum wage in Canada. And that means that workers can't afford to not show up. They can't afford to take any time off, even to get a vaccine or to get a COVID test because they need to be at work. So the employer is required to provide three hours paid leave in order to give a COVID vaccine. But how do we ensure that workers are actually able to access that. We don't have a robust employment standard system here. So a lot of employers act with impunity. So I want to pick up on these things you've said about paid sick days and minimum wage. Um, Because as you've said, here in Saskatchewan, we don't have paid sick days. Minimum wage is the lowest in the country. And yet we haven't necessarily seen lots of frontline workers themselves speaking out in the media We haven't seen huge protests at the legislatures from these communities that have been really deeply affected by COVID-19. So why do you think that is? I think there's a couple of reasons. In my experience working with low-wage workers, the biggest reason why low-wage workers aren't able to participate in the same way in movements as many of us who are working in the labor movement who may be earning a living wage or higher is simply because they can't afford to take the time off work. Folks are working one job, two jobs, three jobs in order to patch together the income that they need in order to meet basic costs. And so lost income isn't just a light thing. It's something that means that they can't get that extra groceries that they may need or they can't get um, running shoes for their kid because their kid is growing. And so it is uh, more difficult to get low-wage workers out to do advocacy. The other issue that comes up around low-wage work and workers advocating for themselves is around the precarity that many folks feel when at work. They feel like if they come out and say, hey, I'm working at you know, XYZ grocery store, that that employer may fire them for speaking negatively about their workplace. And if they aren't in a union, they don't have a process to defend themselves from that unjust firing. They're at the mercy of the employment standards. And so maybe they'll get their job back, but most likely they won't. And so they often feel nervous about coming forward. In my experience, one of the things that was the strongest was that workers who had protections in the workplace, so union members advocating for higher wages, is a deeply important part of the solidarity we need to do to get those wages up because we do have those protections. Our union has our back. 
And that's not something that many low-wage workers have. Almost half of Canadian workers don't have access to paid sick days. They have to choose between going to work sick or staying home without pay and potentially falling short on rent, prescriptions or grocery bills. Why should workers have to make this choice? Take action at sgeu.org. Do you think that unions and the labor movement across Saskatchewan are focusing enough on the issues affecting low-wage workers? Or do you think that the labor movement right now um, is really struggling to defend our own members in what has been a really challenging situation over the last 18 months? I don't think that the struggles are separate. So I feel like that our unions have been overwhelmed by COVID-19, that on a day-to-day basis, the fights that we've needed to do in order to ensure that we have adequate protections, our own workplace or our own employer takes COVID seriously, is reflected in the issues that many uh, workers who don't have unions have as well. And so that the fight that we have within our own workplaces can help ensure that those protections are not just in our workplace, but in our workplaces of folks that that may not have unions. And that's what solidarity looks like, right? It means that we raise our own workplace standards and we extend those standards to other workplaces. And so we shouldn't stop just at organizing our own workplace. That's why we engage in political action. That's why we do advocacy with governments is because when we protect the wider public, we're protecting ourselves. So you use the term organizing. What kinds of organizing are happening across Canada right now on the issues facing frontline workers? Is there anything that we can take from uh, actions that are happening other places that we could learn from here in Saskatchewan? Yeah, so there's a lot of organizing that's taking place around frontline workers. So we know that the federations of labor are working on a campaign for uh, gig workers. So we've seen an increase in precarious work related to food delivery apps, for example. I think most of us have at some point uh, gotten food delivery over this pandemic. Those workers are often working for less than living wage, uh, less than minimum wage, because they aren't necessarily considered a worker in the same way. They're an independent contractor. And so so there's a lot of work to ensure that those folks have the right to form unions and that those folks are included under the Employment Standards Act and get the protections that every worker deserves. Other organizing that has taken place has been huge fights for paid sick leave. So we've seen gains in terms of paid sick leave in Ontario and BC, where workers have increased their rights to paid sick leave. BC is now considering making some of those paid sick leave gains permanent. You know, and I'd love to see more organizing on that in Saskatchewan. The Saskatchewan Federation of Labor has done some work on it, um, and kudos to them for that. But I think that we need to up our game in terms of that fight, uh, because that's important for every worker. And then uh, we've seen fights for um, increased minimum wage. Um, And uh, unfortunately, that hasn't been successful in Saskatchewan. There's been a lot of folks working for a $15 an hour minimum wage. Um, And we still continue to work that. The other area where folks are organizing on that I think is important to mention in the context of low-wage work is childcare. 
So there is a campaign to bring $10 a day childcare to Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan has applied for some federal money to support childcare, but hasn't released the details of what that application looks like to experts in the area. So there's a worry that it won't be sufficient for families' needs. Um, and uh, the childcare subsidy hasn't increased in over a decade in Saskatchewan. So a worker earning minimum wage does not at this point qualify for a childcare subsidy. Such a major barrier to work that many families face. What would $10 a day childcare mean for workers in Saskatchewan? It would be huge. You know, I think one of the things we talk about when we talk about low-wage work and and perpetuating poverty is some of these th- what we call threshold barriers. And so that's that money that you need in order to get out and go to work. Um, so if you're earning low wages and you have to pay for childcare, you're going to actually be in the hole because your childcare is going to cost more than what you earn. So the average amount that a parent pays for childcare in Saskatchewan per child is about $930 a month. And uh, what you make on minimum wage is actually not that different. You're making just barely over that. So you can't afford rent and childcare. So that means that if you have children, if you're a lone parent, you're not able to work. And we see that reflected in poverty statistics. Lone parents are about half of half of lone parents in Saskatchewan are in poverty. And that's because they aren't able to access childcare in order to get access to uh, jobs that would allow them to meet the needs of themselves and their families. One of the things I really hear you pointing to is how connected so many of these issues are for frontline workers and indeed for all of us. So as a last question to you, what do you think that SGU members who are listening to this podcast right now, what do you think is a step that our members could take to support the work of frontline workers moving forward? I think the first thing that they can do is they can be a voice in their community for change. So often, you know, when we go on Facebook or we go on social media, we're not hearing folks uh, saying, hey, childcare is important or minimum wage is important. And so I think speaking out about these issues and creating space in the community for a conversation around an increased minimum wage is really, really important. Another thing would be to sign on to the Saskatchewan Federations of Labor's campaign on this issue or your local union's campaign. I know SGU has done work on $15 an hour minimum wage in the past. And then the third, so if you've already done those two things and you're like, I still have time, I still want to do more. Start talking to folks in your community who are doing advocacy. So Child Care Now Saskatchewan is doing some great work around $10 a day child care. Sign on to their campaign. Find out what else is going on in your community and how you can be involved because it is these engaging in this political action that's really, really important, not just to shift our own workplaces, but to shift the realities of workplaces across Saskatchewan. So, you know, we all know this, the saying, a rising tide lifts all boats. We need to rise that tide and we do that through our individual actions. And on that note, we're going to wrap up. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Deanna. Thank you for having me. From speaking with Deanna and members across our union, it seems clear that the SAS party government has let down frontline workers. Yeah, the thanks are nice, but most people aren't doing these essential frontline jobs out of some grand sense of civic duty. 
They're doing these jobs because they need to pay their rent and feed their families. So wouldn't the obvious way for our society to really thank these workers would be to raise their pay and improve their working conditions? Wouldn't that be better than a sign in the window? Do you have a story about frontline work you'd like to share with us? Get in touch on Twitter at SGEU or send us a message on Facebook at SGEU.SK. Thank you for joining us for episode four of Pandemic at Work. Next week, we're talking about how COVID has impacted mental health and what workers are doing to support each other. That, that stigma, it really prevents people from coming out and saying, I have this issue and they try to hide it and they try to self-medicate and they try to do other things so that people don't notice and it just gets worse and worse and worse. The rush to get back to whatever quote unquote normal is by some provincial governments opened up everyone, in particular the workers on the front lines um, to being vulnerable. This has been an SGEU podcast. The Saskatchewan Government and General Employees Union represents 20,000 members across the province in six sectors and is affiliated with the National Union of Public and General Employees, the Saskatchewan Federation of Labour, and the Canadian Labour Congress. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email at podcast at sgeu.org.